WHMP. Good afternoon and thank you for joining us on uh, this Wednesday afternoon, this momentous, historic Wednesday afternoon. It appears that um, Kevin McCarthy has lost a sixth round of voting as pressure mounts on the GOP to uh, elect a speaker to represent their majority, and they just can't do it um, because people are staying in the chamber. The number that is needed is 212, um, 218, excuse me, and you can't seem to um, get there. Um, I, I have so much to say about it, uh, except that right now we have a really wonderful panel here to talk to us about um, the public health situation here in our region that I want to get to. I just want to throw out an idea for people to like uh, kick around tonight uh, over the dinner table and the water fountain and wherever else you kick around ideas. And that is, why aren't the Democrats coming up with a very short wish list? Uh, it could be about re reproductive rights. It could be about... Um, Voting rights is something that they really care about and go and say, okay, Kevin McCarthy, um, we know that it's going to end, the speakership is going to end up being a Republican, even if it's a special election in Virginia for the deceased Democratic member ends up uh, giving us one more. We're not going to be able to win the speakership as Democrats. However, let's make a deal. You promise to do this, support this, put it on the floor, get us some members we'll get that passed we'll send you the necessary numbers to support your speakership um now i think i'm not quite sure that anybody uh, on that side of the aisle really wants to see kevin mccarthy as speaker but there are people i suppose who could be worse coming from the republican majority in the house of representative house of reprehensible i don't know quite what to call it at this point it's a uh, Terrible time. The promise to disrupt government, as uh, as we see, has, is being effectuated. Um, and this gang of 20, um, these are bad times. Bad times for America. And uh, that's about all that we are going to talk about in that regard. Instead, I'm going to turn our attention to yesterday's Daily Hampshire Gazette above the fold headline which was, is Massachusetts ready for a triple-demic? Breathtakingly frightening, especially after we went, what we went through for a couple of years here. And today's recorder, worker shortage continues to plague health care. Um, pretty dire-sounding stuff. Um, I'm always wanting to learn more about it, but we are all really lucky because today um, we have in... Uh, studio, we have some real public health experts. Um, we're, we should all be really graceful, grateful that we have the Franklin uh, Regional Council of Governments. We have with us Meg Ryan, regional public health nurse at the FERCOG, as the council is called. Uh, Elliot Escura, public health nurse for the city of Northampton. And Maureen O'Reilly, the health educator and epidemiologist at FERCOG. And all of them are here prepared to inform us of, especially at this stage in the winter, of uh, what we've been experiencing and what we should be anticipating we will be experiencing. And I'd like to start with you, Meg Ryan. Hi. Hi, Buzz. Thanks for having us today. Oh, thank you so much for being in the studio. I'm very grateful. And um, 
we're always sort of blindly guessing at what the state of things are. So well, that join the club. Uh, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I wish I had great news for you today that the pandemic was over and we're having an easy flu season and everything's fabulous. But in fact. The pandemic continues to stay with us. You know, it's not as bad. It, there is some good news. It's not as bad as it was last winter when the Omicron variant came around. Um, we've got that new bivalent booster, which includes the original uh, COVID variant and the Omicron variant. So that's helping a little bit. Um, Although I will, uh, Meg, uh, point out, I just read, I think it was in, uh, I'm fumbling through papers right here, that there is... Um, there are new variants that continue to develop. Um, always. Yeah. That's what viruses always. do. Yeah. And and in particular, I think there's a and lot of... Elliot oh, Gora speaking. Hello. Hi, Elliot. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of talk that, um, you know, this bivalent booster is already uh, less effective. But in fact, it's, it's actually still very effective against um, severe disease and death. Uh, even against these newest variants. Um, so, you know, it may not have the the protection maybe that initially it was hoped it would have against getting COVID, but it will still certainly protect you from, from the worst effects of COVID. Well, in that regard, I will point out, I'm thoroughly vaccinated and boosted every time we, as soon as they come out, my wife and I run and get it. Um, and we went 33 months without having COVID until I think it was about a month ago today um, and within a week, the, she felt badly on a Monday. I started feeling badly on a Thursday. And the mm -hmm. good news is, number one, we were isolated together. We test, She tested negative, negative, negative until that Saturday. I felt sick Thursday. We each had about two days of feeling mostly tired, mm -hmm. dry cough, mm -hmm. didn't lose our sense of smell, nothing happened. Then we felt great and stayed isolated until we test, tested negative which took another week. So I think we were home, but we were home together. So we didn't have one upstairs and one downstairs kind of thing. So just throwing that in that, thank you, boosters. Thank mm -hmm. you, vaccines. Yeah. yeah, it makes a big difference. And, you know, people who are hoping to that the vaccine will prevent them from ever getting anything are maybe disappointed because um, it doesn't prevent getting the disease completely, but it will decrease your risk. Being vaccinated will decrease your risk of getting disease. It will decrease your risk of getting serious illness and of being hospitalized. And I was pretty excited to hear the news last week that there's preliminary results from a study about long COVID that being vaccinated decreases your risk of getting long COVID by about 50%. And what is long COVID, Meg Ryan? Long COVID um, is a condition where symptoms of COVID last for much longer than you would expect. And for some people, it can be months. The good news about long COVID is that um, it doesn't appear to become more serious disease. The bad news is that it's hard to function for quite a while for some people. Mm. Um, but most people seem to be eventually recovering thoroughly. But it's, it's very discouraging to still mm -hmm. feel unwell and have brain fog three months, four months, even longer sometimes after you've been sick with COVID. Um, so, you know, we're, we're public health people over here. We're just going to be hammering about vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. <laughs> it's the, really the best thing you can do. Um, and, and, and to layer those protections. You know, yes. we have so many tools. The more you can layer, the, the more protected you are. And Is it the true other that thing... I now have some natural immunities, uh, antibodies, because I had contracted the COVID virus? Yes. Probably but... for about three months or so. Yeah. Um, it, it's mixed results on how long it'll last after that. 
Okay, so, and oh. Meg, um, you and Elliot are both um, nurses. We have an epidemiologist here and a health educator in Maureen O'Reilly. Hi, you were about to say something, Maureen. Yes, um, thanks for having me. Uh, what I was about to say is that previously how the virus was running through, we can look at the United States, is we'd have these peaks. And what would happen is, you know, if everyone got sick during the Delta variant or during the Omicron variant, the original Omicron variant, that it was assumed that you would be um, protected from reinfection from that same variant for up to three months. But what's looking a little bit different right now is that there happened to be, you know, kind of for one of, the, I don't want to say that for the first time in COVID, but more strongly right now in COVID is that there's multiple variants that are out there. So it can be that you and your wife are expected to be protected from getting COVID from that same variant for three months. If another variant comes over or you know, develop someplace, you are susceptible for, unfortunately, for reinfection from something that's a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. I am, I was born in 1950. And you, you guys all know this. I think the world knows this. We were, we couldn't go to school unless we have vaccinated. Like this little mark on my shoulder that showed, you know, for polio and for smallpox and for mumps, measles, chickenpox, and I don't know what else. Um, I'm, I'm old enough to have that same mark. And there we go. Proud of it, and, and and it worked. It worked. And one of the concerning things is that with all of the misinformation out there on about vaccination, especially on social media platforms, um, the rates of childhood vaccination are actually going down for the first time. You know, it's trending downward and has been very concerning. And polio's back. We had pretty much eradicated polio with the vaccination. There are cases in New York. There was a case of paralysis this fall in New York State. I don't understand, you know, why, why would you put yourself at risk for that when the vaccines are proven to be pretty safe? Well, let me go back to Maureen as an epidemiologist. Uh, uh, why? We don't understand. Why aren't people getting vaccinated? Why does that misinformation trump, wrong word, um, <laughs> but uh, the, the information, the, the hard evidence that we actually almost eradicated polio and smallpox and these other diseases? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's one that a lot of people are trying to address. There's a lot of people trying to address it from a, you know, a research perspective. There's a lot of pediatricians that are trying to address it um, and also community health educators. But it kind of, you know, I think everyone's reason to vaccinate and perhaps not to vaccinate are, are in, individual and unique. And so what one of the main uh, pieces in that, vac that conversation about vaccination is about trust. You know, I'm, I got a vaccine because... I have a science background, I'm a huge nerd, and I totally believed in it. And I was like, yes, this is a thing to do because I feel like this is the science is there that this is going to be beneficial for me. And for someone for whom perhaps that is um, less accessible or have not had great experiences with doctors or are systemically um, uh, uh, shoved aside in, in, in terms of medical treatment and access, you can kind of erode that trust in, is this actually a move that I want to make? And um, I'm not a parent, and perhaps anyone here who is a parent could address that when you have a, you know, a newborn child that is, you know, the center of your world, you want to make sure that you're making the best decision for that child. And if you don't have some of those trusts, you don't have that same amount of trust that I had, you know, with my doctor and my, and my attempt, my um, uh, vaccination, then that conversation is a little bit different. And so I think one of the big things as we talk about, you know, vaccination rates, a lot of it is about how do we address trust from either a parent to a child's pediatrician or to a school nurse 
or to parent to parent, peer to peer to say, yeah, we do trust in these things because we know that they work. Well, you're a huge science nerd. I'm a huge political nerd. And, <laughs> um, and it all starts with policy. I think because back then, uh, Meg and I both remember that it was the policymakers who said you can't send your kids to school unless they have proof that they got these vaccinations. And that was a political decision that was based on the science. The scientists told the politicians. The politicians said, okay, we'll make it a law. And that was it. We couldn't, we had free public ed education, but they had to get those vaccines. And something got broken recently. And, and people really had a window to disbelieve that which they couldn't see with their own two eyes. Science. And part of that, I think, has to come to seeing science in real time, right? I think, I don't know for how many people can say, wow, I've really watched a pandemic unfold in my lifetime, mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm, you know, a total expert in what's going on. I think it's something that something as, as the information and the scene of, you know, the pandemic layout has been developing, information has changed, right? And we had that in terms of what the ideal isolation period was in the beginning, stay home for 10 days. Now it's a little bit shorter as long as we're masking for the rest of the time. You know, there's these things that as this develops that I think for some people, they can say, I really trust in this. And for other people, they say, hey, wait a second. You know, why is all of this changing? Because the science <laughs> changes because we, right, we right. get better at it. Elliot Oscura, you're a registered nurse. And, and before we went on the air, um, with respect to this frightening, and as it, it, on the heels of the is Massachusetts ready for a triple-demic headline is worker shortage continues to plague healthcare. You mentioned that you also did double duty and you went to the Franklin Bay State and worked. And what did you experience there with respect to workers? Uh, well, so I also work per diem at, at Bay State in Springfield. And, and I can say that, that like all the hospitals in the area, um, you know, uh, they're experiencing tight staffing. It's, it's rough there. Uh, you know, I think that it's a continuous struggle to, to fill the positions that need to be filled. And Why to, the shortage? Well, <laughs> I, I'm just one nurse, so I can, uh, I can only speak to what I think people wiser than me have, uh, have, have said about this. I think there's a lot of factors. I think the, the pandemic has exhausted people. I think that our health system built on the profit motive uh, has... has motivated certain staffing decisions uh, over a long period of time, far before the pandemic started. So I, I think it's a very complex issue. I don't, I don't know that I can, as one person, sum up why all these staffing issues are happening. Well, uh, but I know that I there's, respect there's that, great but that never stops me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Meg, what, what, what are you experiencing in terms of the level of COVID-19 infections we're seeing in Franklin and Hampshire County? Well, they have gone up recently, the, though the last week was a slight drop in Franklin County. Um, but I, I think that many of us in public health are more concerned about the flu this year. Um, it's, it's, an, it's a very severe season. It happened earlier. Um, for example, we're, the entire state is, is at a very high rate of influenza illness. Um, and that has only happened um, for five weeks in the last six years of influenza, and we've just had a, a, ring, a run of four weeks of very high influenza, um, and it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. So I think people should be um, paying attention to just 
Stay home when you're sick, period. It doesn't matter what you have. Stay home when you're sick and please get those vaccines. I mean, yeah. it's so easy now. It's easier than it used to be when you had to go to your doctor and get, you know, my wife and I go shopping and... Pretty much any know, pharmacy, any supermarket with a pharmacy. Between seafood and... Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, Stop yeah. by and bury your arm. That's it. And, bury and your the arm. Flu, flu vaccine this year is a very good match for the variants that are going around. So um, with that one, you know, we've got this excellent pr- protection that's right at your fingertips. And before we take the break, I will ask more. Maureen, as an epidemiologist, is it really true that if, if more people would just get those vaccines, that we would less be less likely to see so many infections? Not just for those people, but there is this thing called herd immunity, right? I mean, there's certain... I think it would be very beneficial if more people were to get, um, like the flu vaccine in particular, something when it's well-matched can prevent illness um, uh, very well. And so that'd be helpful to prevent the spread of kind of what we're seeing respiratory-like illness. Um, and so I think that'd be great. That'd be great. And I do want to say, I'm, again, I'm 72 years old. I suffered no ill effects from any of these vaccines. I had a little soreness on a scale of 1 to 10, maybe a, a 2 in my minor, my left minor arm for a day and a half. And that's the only thing that I experienced with, I think, two COVID vaccines, four boosters, flu shots, and I, got, I finally got the double shingles Oh, congratulations. So. Good for you. Yeah. Some people do feel unwell for a day or two, but in my mind, it's so worth it. You feel mildly unwell or even a little bit more than mildly unwell for a day or two, and you're going to be protected. You're not going to be sick with the flu for two weeks. We're so lucky to have these three healthcare professionals in studio here. We're going to take a break for a couple of minutes and come back and speak more about the triple-demic we're facing right after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Go out to eat, save 30%. Get a guitar or take lessons, save 30%. Pork chops, rug cleaning, hypnotherapy, save 30%. The Shop 30 store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were going to buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. Teach English anywhere, to immigrants in the United States, to students in South America. Get your Teach English certificate with the International Language Institute. It's the Teach English credentials recognized around the world. You'll learn how to teach, create an excellent lesson plan, and you'll start teaching non-native English speakers the first week. A three-month part-time evening course starts February 4th. Four-week online intensive starts February 6th. Sign up online. Get your Teach English certificate. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. Arts night out, the farmer's market moves in. Young Shakespeare, a chowder cook-off. What's going on? A look around the valley with provisions. Grow Food Northampton's winter farmer's market moves indoors, Saturday the 14th and 28th from 10 to 2 at the Northampton Senior Center. The Young Shakespeare Players East present Twelfth Night, January 13th and 14th at the Shea Theater in Turner's Falls. And it's free. Arts Night Out, the second Friday of the month in downtown Northampton. The next one is Friday, January 13th. 
Comedy Cause, Teacher's Night Out, Benefits the Literacy Project, Saturday, January 21st at the Academy of Music. You make chowder? It's a clam chowder cook-off. This Saturday at 3 at the Northampton Country Club, bring two quarts of chowder and a crock pot. This is Jim Neal with What's Going On, a monthly look around at food and beverage, arts and music, and anything cool. What's Going On is presented by Provisions. Wine, beer, cheese at the foot of Crafts Avenue in downtown Northampton in the Mill District in North Amherst and now in the Longmeadow Shops. Many Americans began 2023 under serious financial pressure. In a new report, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau found a decline in several key measures of economic well-being. Consumers under the age of 40 say they lost ground financially during 2022. Now that the holidays are over, consumers who receive questionable gifts will line up to return them, a process a bit more complicated if the gifts were purchased online. Amazon has expanded its 30-day return policy for the holidays, giving items purchased during October through December until the end of January. Are you prepared for a recession in 2023? The International Monetary Fund says you should be. The IMF predicts one-third of the world's economies will be in a recession this year. The war in Ukraine, rising prices, and higher interest rates could all weigh on the global economy. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with our public health experts from the Franklin uh, Regional Council of Governments. The FERCOG we have in studio, uh, Meg Ryan, uh, a nurse, Elliot Escura, a nurse, and we have Maureen O'Reilly, the uh, epidemiologist and health educator. I wanted to ask you, Maureen, there are some messages you want people to get Um yeah. So as the pandemic has changed, our ability to um, access testing has changed. And right now, um, if you have insurance, private insurance, if you have mass health or if you have um, Medicare, you are eligible for up to eight rapid tets- tests per person per month. That's the antigen test. Those are the rapid antigen chest- tests. So those are great to, you know, as you're going through uh, CVS or Big Y or Stop and Shop or Walgreens or wherever, to pick them up once a month, have those on hand, and be able to test if you need. The rapid tests are fantastic if you have symptoms. Um, you know, do a little swab, wait 15 minutes. And, um, you know, the other piece of that is sometimes we get our symptoms before our viral load might be high enough to see on a rapid test. So if you have, um, if you have symptoms, uh, you know, definitely, you know, wear a mask, stay home, but test, and you might want to wait another 24 hours or a little bit later to test again. So I know those are the antigen tests, the rapid tests you could do at home. There are things called PCR tests. Where are those available, Meg? So they are available at some pharmacies with a doctor's order. And what, um, well, first of all, I should have asked, what are the PCR tests? I actually want Maureen to answer that question ah. because she does such an excellent job of it. Yeah, this I used to work in medical research, so I used to do PCRs before it was cool. Um, but a PCR test, uh, as we all know, there's the swab up the nose, and it takes the material that is on the swab and it looks at what I'm going to call viral DNA. It's the RNA. And it allows it to look in kind of these building block pieces of the virus to say, are these the building blocks of coronavirus? And if there's a certain presence of them, then we know that you're positive with, um, with COVID. And they're very sensitive tests. They're much, much more sensitive 
and accurate than the home antigen test. measuring the presence of the virus instead of just the antigen that would right. re- likely right. result. And so right. the rapid antigen tests depend on how much antigen load you have in your body at the time. And as Maureen said, they are excellent when you're symptomatic. If you're just pre-testing to go to a, a gathering of people, they may or may not be um, completely accurate, but they often catch things before you're symptomatic. So I encourage people to have those tests on hand and use them. And I also want to just say, uh, put a plug in for layering your protection. So you've got vaccine, you've got home testing, you've got staying home when you're sick, doing all of these things. You've got masking. You know, we don't have to mask outside. We know that it's not uh, transmitted um, terribly easily outside, but I would if I was in a huge crowd outside. So it depends on where you are and what your level of risk is and what your level of tolerance is. But to to think about gauging your risk as you need to and using all of the things you have at your uh, disposal. Um, I want to mention that uh, both at Elliott's Northampton Health Department website and at the FERCOG website, there are lots of resources on how to get tests, where to get tests, um, uh, what current current COVID levels, um, information on long COVID as well. And Um, what are these websites? Could you tell us what they are? uh, FRCOG.org. That's the acronym for Franklin County Regional Regional Council of Governments. Correct. And... And we are at NorthamptonMA.gov. NorthamptonMA.gov. That's pretty easy. I wanted to ask you as a nurse, Elliot, uh, what is this RSV mm-hmm. and how much of it are we seeing these days? Yeah, so it's it stands for respiratory syncytial virus. Um, and it's a virus that can affect anyone. Um, adults and children can both get it. In adults, it often shows up with kind of cold symptoms, runny nose, maybe a fever, um, but in children, it, it can be very, very severe, especially in very young children. It can be, um, it, it can cause serious respiratory distress and, and even death in, in very severe cases. Mm. Um, and uh, fortunately, um, it, it is still circulating in our community, but it seems to have passed the peak. Um, it was a huge issue earlier in the season, but it's kind of starting to decline a little bit. Well, it's part of the triple demic, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I can't wait till it's a. Postemic is that a such a thing? <laughs> Let's go for it. Let's, Let's go, go for, for postemic. We'll, well I won't do much to cause it, but you guys are right there in the trenches, and I can't thank you enough for everything that you do, um, uh, particularly for folks here in this region. Meg Ryan, Elliot Escura, Maureen O'Reilly, thank you so much for what you do, for coming in, and for what you're going to continue doing to help us all. Thank Thanks you for having thank us. You for, thank you for having us. We are going to be back with a very interesting thing with Nan Parati. And her guest, uh, Ariel Brooks, right after these messages, do stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. I'll address you cause you're tired, cover you as you desire. When you fall asleep inside my arms. May not have the fancy things, but I'll give you everything you could ever For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A five-year-old boy died after a fire that occurred on Christmas Eve in Chicopee. Firefighters were called to a three-story multifamily home on Chicopee Street just after noon on December 24th. 
When firefighters arrived, they were told a child was still inside. The five-year-old was rescued and taken to a local hospital, where he later died due to his injuries. The fire is believed to have started in the living room on the third floor, but the cause has not yet been released. Officials are releasing the name of the Northampton man who died last month in Chesterfield. 27-year-old Jonathan Latondra was reported dead on December 26th on South Street, but the Northwestern DA's office is not releasing the circumstances surrounding his death. According to a GoFundMe page, Latondra worked as a general manager at Duncan. The Baker Polito administration announced that 266 fire departments, including many in the Pioneer Valley, will receive a total of $1.9 million in grants for fire and life safety education. The fire and life safety education will be geared toward children and older adults, according to the Department of Fire Services. And Governor Charlie Baker has signed a new law aimed at making roads safer for vulnerable users such as bicyclists, pedestrians, skateboarders, and anyone else who is not in a vehicle. The legislation calls for larger vehicles to be equipped with lateral protective devices, additional mirrors, and backup cameras. It also requires officials to report information about crashes involving vulnerable road users and allows municipalities to petition to modify speed limits on state highways within their borders. Rain develops this afternoon, a high of 50 to 54. Rain continues tonight. Might end as some patchy freezing rain in the hills of Hampshire and Franklin County. Overnight lows of 34 to 40. Mostly cloudy, scattered shower here tomorrow, a high of 38 to 42. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. Hi, it's Jason with the Weather Channel and SnowCountry.com. This winter, there are now updated COVID-19 booster shots designed for recent Omicron variants. Learn more and schedule your updated booster at vaccines.gov, sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. Our next strong round of snowmakings within view late this week. A pattern of cool, dry days and cold nights settles back in. And snowmaking crews will resume all the great work they did to open all the trails we enjoyed over the holidays, freshening up the surfaces and getting those trail counts back up. In the meantime, changeable weather means changeable conditions and packing the all-weather gear is a wise idea. Jiminy Peak Action Day and Night 30 trails there, about two dozen for Wachusett. They ski till 9.30, Stratton close to 40 trails and still over 60 at Killington. Ski and ride like a beast at Vermont's biggest icon pass destination this winter. Killington Resort is home to the longest season in the east and the all-new K1 Lodge. Plan a visit today at killington.com. Check out more at snowcountry.com. I'm Jason Dean. Looking for the perfect place to watch the game? Hi, I'm Caleb Hiliotis, head brewer of Amherst Brewing. Make the Hangar Pub and Grill your go-to spot to catch all the action this season. Our famous wings come with your choice of 26 flavors, and with 25 years of beer making experience, there's an Amherst Brewing beer for every drinker. Now that's a winning combo. Join us for weekly trivia nights in Amherst, Westfield, Agawam, South Hadley, and Greenfield. Visit hangerpub.com for more of what we have cooking and brewing today. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. So this is Massachusetts way of saying, we think it's an important program. We think it's important enough to continue for students and their families, and we're going to put the money up front to make sure it continues so that if the federal government does not renew it, Massachusetts will still have universal school meals. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 1015, WHMP. Well, the, the train wreck that's happening down in the halls of Congress is not the uh, 
the only interesting thing that's happening today. We also have Nan Parati on with her interesting thing. Hello from North Carolina, Nan. And I'm actually in New Orleans oh, today. Oh, you did tell me that's right. You're in New Orleans. I can't keep track of where you are. I know. I travel around so much. I know. And yeah, and I'm so excited about our interesting thing because it's much more exciting than what's going on in, in Washington. Ours is fun. So today, my guest is Ariel Brooks. Ariel moved to Ashfield, Massachusetts a few years ago. Some of you people may know I owned a store called Elmer's for 13 years and then in 2018 sold it and some people bought it and now they've decided they want to move on in their lives. Ariel came to me about maybe six or seven months ago and said, I have an idea. Ariel, what was your idea? The idea was for us to buy Elmer's as a community and to all own it and govern it together. Which is a really fascinating idea. And we wanted to talk about this today, not just in terms of Elmer's in Ashfield, but the idea of taking a building that, and Elmer's, I have to say, is pretty beloved in town. It was a real community space and, and still is, but we don't want it to go away. Now that the people are leaving, we don't want it to just go away. What are we going to do with it? So we wanted to talk about this in terms of what a community can do with a space that they like, that they care about, or even if they want to just create a new one. That's what we're here to talk about today. Take it away, Ariel. What got you interested in this and how do you know about this sort of thing? Thanks, Nan. Um, I have been working for about the past half a decade in a, with a group of folks who are working on trying to shift our economic system and you know, there's a lot of different ways people talk about this. For a while, it was like post-oil and post-capitalism. Some of those words are still around, but we're also talking now about solidarity economy and just transition. And, you know, the core premise of this, or, you know, our, our local folks talk about the commons, but the core premise of this is that the way our system works now isn't working for any of us. And that one way we can have nice things is if we, actually come together to make sure that we're resourcing and and overseeing and running those nice things together. So that, you know, I've worked with folks who are trying to run local uh, community-owned bookstores and community-owned coffee shops and community-owned housing and community-owned farms. And so, you know, here in Ashfield, we have a lot of folks who are really excited about working on things together and who regularly turn out for voting and volunteering and it seemed like a perfect place to try out this experiment of coming together to make sure that we can maintain this community institution that's really important to our whole town i love it i'm so as you can imagine extremely excited about this what what how okay so what are the steps we have an idea where do we go with this how do we make it a reality I mean, all sorts of steps, all sorts of ways, but in our particular case, we put a call out to people to see who wanted to work on this project. Um, part of the reason that I got excited about this project is because I had conversations with folks all over town who were said they had they had dreamed of buying Elmer's someday and running Elmer's or, you know, they, they dreamed of being involved. It was so, so special and important to them. The tipping point for me was when my nine-year-old daughter and her friend decided to, you know, dream their own dream of how they were going to run Elmer's when they were 22, having graduated from college, and they were doing a whole menu redesign. And I thought, we need to do something about this. Like, 
everybody in town has thought about this and everybody in town has concluded that they can't do it alone but what if we did it together and so i had a bunch of conversations with a lot of folks who had told me they dreamed of one day owning elmer's or who i knew were interested in community or restaurants or fundraising or many other facets of things that we need and and you know we had a group of volunteers show up and now us volunteers have been trying to make this project happen we have a steering committee of 10 people and then and then of course you and I are both getting emails every five seconds from people saying how can I be involved what can I do what is the best way to get involved in something like this if, if, if somebody in a different town wants to do it and wants to get this thing going what should they do hmm I think that's a tough question because honestly one of the things we found is that we have to be constantly creative we just have to keep there's been so many different things that have already happened just in the few months that we've been talking about this that have meant that we just needed to come together, have meaningful conversations and figure out the, the best path forward. Right. So to me, like a core part of it is that people can show up and say, here I am, here are my skills and, and here's what I'm offering. And, you know, in our own experience, we found that different people's skills have been, been really critical at different times, right? Mm -hmm. So we have our event planner who's just like swinging into action now. And we had our, our you know, person who works in the building trades and was able to come in with the key referral for building trades folks to look at our building. So I guess a, this is a long way around to coming to a point that everybody has something to offer. And if people show up and say, here are five things that I could potentially offer, even if it doesn't seem like any of them are useful, you sort of never know when one of those things or or some of the things you're passionate about are going to be helpful to a project like this. It's true. And I also have to say the, the group frequently has to kind of look at me, give me the side eye because I'm like, okay, guys, here's how we're going to do it. And they're like, man, this is not your store anymore, but we'll, we'll listen to you. <laughs> it's kind of hard sometimes. Not too often. <laughs> not too often, but it is. I have to say I get very emotional in some of the meetings. <laughs> um, we've also been raising money. Talk about that a little bit, the different methods of, 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 of that whole process of what we've been doing and what one might do. Well, I jokingly, one of my favorite professors when I used to work up at Marlboro College joked about how we're all returning to a feudal system and that the way we're going to have nice things is that the people who have more resources are going to recognize that it's their responsibility to share their resources with the community and make sure that all of us can have what we need together. So, uh -huh. you know, folks with any level of resources can send money to our bank account or to our post office box as in the form of a check, or we, they can um, send money to on the GoFundMe, which is going around on Facebook right now. I don't have either the link or the details, Nan. Maybe you have them in front of you, but. Um, you know, um, I wasn't prepared with that level of specificity. Right, right, right. I don't have the GoFundMe link. I don't have it in my head either. I've got the post office box. Post office box 334 Ashfield, Massachusetts 01330 if you'd like to contribute to this particular one. But again, like I said, making it a broader thing. We've been talking to people, people who are interested and people have who have come to us to say, hey, we want to make this happen. And, and and people have been extremely generous. I'm really, really excited about it and excited about the moving forward with that. Very well, in, in the one minute we have before we have to take a break, um, Ariel Brooks, so it seems like this is, are these local folk who are investing money, are they buying shares? Is it proportionate to their contribution? How does that work? So I wanted to 
be really careful about staying away from anything like a proportional share. The result of that usually is that people who have been put in more money and think that they're going to get a proportional amount of governance say, sometimes say that they don't want to have, you know, that, oh, I'll, I'll give up my governance. But in the end, they, what, if something's going that they don't like, it's, it's all too easy to say, I put in a lot of resources and like, why shouldn't I get special um, you know, dispensation to have it go the way that I want it to go. So, and actually, and there's other things, there's other reasons why, um, you know, what, one of the things we've been talking about is like, this project doesn't work in the logic of capitalism. Like, it's only going to work if people give what they can give generously, whether that's time or, you know, work on the porch or, or cash. So, for now, we're just buying the building as a nonprofit community center, and people are giving straight donations. And then separately, later, we're going to launch a sort of like a, if you imagine like the way that a grocery store works, people do become members by putting in a small amount of money at the beginning. And then anyone even beyond members can also shop at the grocery store. So the, the restaurant business itself will be a consumer cooperative, um, which most people have experienced as like when they go to a, a cooperative grocery store. But we'll use that same model to launch the restaurant and the restaurant and the building will be partners, but the building will actually be preserved in perpetuity for the community as, as a nonprofit um, community center that then has this restaurant inside it. Well, we'd like to hear more about that. We've had, uh, just recently, we had there's some folks trying to uh, start a food co-op in Amherst. We've had the um, Northampton uh, folks on who already have a very viable uh, local food co-op, and we see it agriculturally too. We're, I want to find out the difference between a co-op and a community-owned business, if there is in fact one. We are talking with Nan Parati's interesting thing of the week, that is Ario Brooks and this idea of creating community-owned businesses. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. What's happening on Beacon Hill this month? What laws are our local elected officials pushing for? We'll hear the perspective of State Senator Joe Comerford, who will be our guest Thursday at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman. Weekdays at 9. And again at 5. WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Every day, financial ads claiming to be different from the competition. Are they? I'm Frances Rayum, the money doctor, and I'm about to make a bold statement. I believe the thing to focus on isn't their uniqueness, it's yours. No one has the same financial situation or needs as you, and no one can help us help you better than you. But the truth is, when it comes to managing money, most of us are not as successful as we'd like to be. No matter how focused we are, it's almost impossible to separate emotion, and being in a relationship can further compound the issue. That's why I developed Hug Your Money. Financial coaching coupled with online software and tools to empower you to manage money wisely. We guide you every step of the way to resolve immediate issues and plan for your financial future with modeling scenarios. So whether it's debt, budget, retirement planning, or a financial crisis, having a Hug Coach in your corner is like having a new best financial friend. Hug Your Money is as unique as you are. In fact, it's patented. Visit HugYourMoney.com. 
Attention all business owners who rent or lease space, including storage space. Stop wasting your money paying someone else for your space. You can now save a ton of money and own your own building with the incredible sale prices from General Steel. That's right. Start saving money every month on renting space from others. Just call 866-95-STEEL to see how General Steel can help you save money. Our 50-year structural warranty buildings are custom designed for your needs and save you a ton of money. Call 866-95-STEEL. Take it from a successful entrepreneur. If you need to expand or start a new business, you need General Steel. Great team and the competitive pricing is the reason I went with General Steel. Call 866-95-STEEL now and you can get any of our popular quick construction structures including a 40 by 60 foot building or a 50 by 100 clear span building fast and easy. Call 866-95-STEEL. That's 866-957-8335. 866-95-STEEL. Want to support the kind of talk you hear on the afternoon buzz? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com, and add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And with Nan Parati and her interesting thing of the week is Ariel Brooks talking about community-owned businesses. Nan? Yeah, a question that we get a lot, of course, from everyone is exactly how does this work? What's the difference between a co-op, a community-owned business, all of these things? Ariel, can you talk about that kind of how we see this working in Asheville. Sure. Yeah, so, I mean, if you think about, um, there's there's two, there's, think about an organization. Like an organization could be a business or a nonprofit. And for any any organization, the source of capital, which is where the money comes from to run the business or the organization, and the governance of the organization, which is the, the decisions about what that organization does, are two really important pieces. And then there's a third piece, which is who actually does the work of the organization. Mm-hmm. What's the labor, right? So, um, you know, we're talking about the difference between a worker cooperative and a consumer cooperative, like a like a cooperative grocery store. In a in a worker cooperative, the laborers and the governance are the same, right? Whereas in a consumer cooperative, it's actually members who are the governing body, and the workers just work for the members, right? Uh-huh. Um, so when we're talking, then we, we have to bring in the third piece of, of where does the capital come from? And that's where we get into the question of whether it's a nonprofit where nobody's making money off of it except for the laborers who are getting paid a wage, or whether it's a for-profit where, uh, you know, there, there is the potential that either, you know, investors, whether those are big money investors or member owners, or whether just like individual proprietors are making money off off of the project, right? right. Um, and so we, one of the things we spent a lot of time talking about in our steering committee and that a lot of folks are talking about nationally is like, what are the ways you can recombine or, or combine different forms of governance, different forms of capital ownership, and different forms of labor to get, um, to get organizational forms that really serve community needs? So we were actually originally thinking in Ashfield about, we, we're not thinking about a worker cooperative 
purely because we haven't had a bunch of restaurateurs come forward to say, we'd like to own this together and govern it together as the worker owners of Elmer's. Mm -hmm. So that didn't happen. So now we're pursuing a different strategy, um, which is to make the building a nonprofit, which will be governed by, you know, as with any nonprofit organization, a board of folks who are who have the best interests of the community and charitable purpose in mind. And then we'll have the business, which will have member owners, which who are people who love to come to Elmer's to eat food or see concerts. And you know, and annually those folks will have the chance to say, hey, we'd like to see this addition on the menu, or we'd like to see more concerts, or uh, we'd like to, you know, work with the nonprofit to invest in solar panels for the roof. So, you know, we're, we're in this in this way, all of those people who are member owners will have a lot of a lot more interest and commitment to this business. And that allows us to um, to to draw on the community if there if there are hard times. You and when know, when you say nonprofit, you're talking about here in Massachusetts a real chapter 180 not for profit articles of organization, a real corporation, and then getting a 501c3 IRS exemption, which is given to not for profit organizations. We're talking about formalizing Correct. it that way. We've already, we already incorporated in Massachusetts, and we we'll, we're in process on applying for our C3. So the benefit for that is that the building itself will not have we won't have to pay taxes on the building, and also all the people who are giving money now in order to purchase the building will get a tax write-off on their income taxes. So if we were a business, we would we would pay taxes on the building, and also all the people giving money now would not be able to take a tax write-off. But the minute, you know, margins are so slim in the restaurant business, especially in a restaurant business in a small rural town at this moment with inflation and et cetera, that it's very hard to imagine a business model that would work if we if we had to pay a significant mortgage or if we had investors who were expecting to get their money paid back. So by making the building a nonprofit and having those who can resource purchasing the building to be a perpetual um, resource for the town of Ashfield, and they're not expecting to get any money back, it frees the business to move with a lot more grace and to be able to, to be really vibrant without having all the pressures that, that many businesses have. There were a lot of pressures in those days, I remember. <laughs> and they'd be even worse now, right? Like all these restaurants yes. are closing um, near and far. And exactly. So we know our, our two of our different steering committee folks also, in addition to Nan, have restaurant business experience. No, that's not true. Three, three other people. Yeah. And they're all telling us like, it's essential to do it in this new creative recombination way, because otherwise there's no way, um, you know, it's very difficult to have a restaurant flourish right now. Right. And some of the things that we are very interested in, of course, is paying a living wage to people who work there and, um, you know, taking care of our people. That's I always wanted to take care of our people back in that day, back in the old days there. But now I think we'll be able to do it a little bit better. We're also looking for uh, we'll be excited when we actually are able to buy the building. The building needs a lot. It's an old, old 1835. It was built and. It's been kept up, but you know, it's an old, old building. So it needs some stuff and we'll be looking for people who are interested in helping us refurbish that building, re rehabilitate that building. There's a lot to do, a lot of painting, carpentry, you know, stuff like that. That'll be really wonderful to have people help us bring that all back. It's going to be a very, I'm excited about this project so much, not just because I own Elmer's, but because it's just thrilling to see people coming together and being excited about something in these days of division in the world. It's really, really exciting to see this come together. And I'm 
get thrilled by it. I, lo I love so much that Ariel came up with this idea and came to me and asked me about it. And at first I said, yeah, right, sure, that's not going to work. Only because I, I couldn't imagine the people who own it wanting to leave. The fact that they have on their own decided to go and do other things. I'm so excited about this project uh, as a, as a mem community member as well as somebody who's working on it. It's very, very exciting. Well, very in exciting. the one minute that we have left, uh, Ariel, do you, would you like to just pitch it to people and tell them how to contact you or your committee? Sure. You can reach us at Elmer's Steering Committee at gmail.com or you can send checks to Elmer's Revitalization Project at Box 334, PO Box 334, Ashfield, Massachusetts 01330. And yeah, I was just thinking as you were talking, Nan, that, you know, the, there's such, one of the questions was how do people get started? And I was just say like, got into this whole wonky conversation about corporate forms. Assume that what you want to do is possible and that you can you can figure out how to make the corporate forms work to support something new, creative, innovative, and, and more possible than you imagine. I love and that. If people are in other towns other than Asheville and wanted to similarly explore such a thing, how do they get in touch with you, Ariel? Same. I'm monitoring that email account. Um, so, you know, or they can re email arielbrooksconsulting at gmail.com. And also the Ashfield News has been doing monthly coverage of this project. So there's going to be great documentation. So folks can look on the um, Ashfield News uh, archives online and you can find a lot of details about what and how the project is happening. Well, thank you so much, Nan. Thank you so much. Interesting thing. Ariel, thank you for joining us today. Everybody else, stay tuned to what's happening in Washington, D.C. It's crazy down there. We'll be talking with you tomorrow. Have a great evening. I'll tell you one thing, this is the Afternoon Buzz together. with Buzz Eisenberg, mm, 101.5 WHMP. Yeah, we'll look at them stars and we're together. Well, it's always better when we're together. How long and how hard would you work to own your own home? At Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity, future homeowners contribute dozens of hours to build a home for their family, but they need your help. Thousands of community supporters have participated in this work since 1989. They create a partnership with a future homeowner and Habitat to build a home, strengthen our neighborhood, Live and create local a legacy news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station.